fear. From here on out for the next 10 weeks, we're going to deal with different negative thoughts that we have each week. If there's any negative thought that prevents us from uh, stepping out in faith and fulfilling our destiny, it is thoughts of fear. Fearful thoughts keep you right where you're at. Uh, The thoughts of fear will prevent you from enjoying your life. Fear stops you from trying new things like surfing or knitting or something that Mark would do. Uh, fear is that fear is a thought pattern that stops you from enjoying your spouse because you're worried what's your spouse thinking and what are they doing and you're constantly worried and fearful and thinking where are they at and what's going on and who are they talking to and you don't enjoy the people in your life. Fear stops us from believing God's words. Fear stops us from tithing because we are afraid that God's not going to honor his word in the area of finances. Fear stops us from stepping out in faith and encouraging somebody at work when we know God told us to do it, but we're afraid of what they'll think of us. Fear breeds insecurity. Fear causes us to not want to go out in public because of the way we look or our weight or something we don't like about ourselves. Fear stops us from enjoying our friends. Fear stops you from being part of a Bible study because you're afraid of that you're not as smart as somebody there. Fear stops you from singing in the choir because you're afraid of what you're going to look like. Fear stops you from singing and worshiping God right at your seat because you're afraid of what the people next to you are going to think when you sing loud. Fear stops us from doing things that we know God has called us to do. Fear is a spirit. If you're taking notes today, write it down. If you're not taking notes, write it down. Fear is one of the few negative thoughts we're going to talk about in this series that is actually a spirit. The Bible talks about fear being a spirit. Uh, the spirit of fear will give you nightmares, even as a young child. I taught, when I talked to you about the demons and angels sermon, I reminded you that, 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 that your age has nothing to do with whether or not the enemy attacks you. Uh, children have fearful nightmares because the spirit of fear is in their home. It could be from things their parents allow to come into the home. Ouija boards or, 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 or movies that are intended to scare you in a very evil way. Not just, you know, like a scary kind of movie kind of thing, but fear is a spirit. And um, fear is the exact opposite of faith. Fear and faith are the same things. They both ask us to believe that something is going to happen that has not yet happened. And last week, the analogy that I gave you for thought life is bricks. And I said every uh, one of us have a home surrounding our mind, and every brick of that home is a thought that we think. And unfortunately, what God thinks about you does not determine what you think about you. You have to choose to put that brick in the home of your mind. What the enemy thinks about you, you still, that does not matter. You get to choose. Are you going to put the enemy's brick in the home of your mind or God's brick in the home of your mind? Your parents don't decide. You decide. So the analogy that I want to give you today for talking about fear is a magnet. Um, fear is, is, is fear and faith is like having two big magnets. And whatever it is we decide to think about, whether it's fearful thoughts or faith-filled thoughts, it will draw into us what it is we choose to dwell on. It'll come into our life. Fear and faith are the exact opposites. It's just as easy to believe that what God said is going to happen as it is um, to contradict God's word and believe and worry and doubt and fear and be afraid. Uh, Hebrews 11.1 1 gives us the definition of faith. It says, uh, faith is to be sure of things we hope for, to be certain of things we cannot see. Let me say it to you in the negative, okay? Fear is to be sure of things we worry about and to be certain of things we cannot see. Worry is the fear's devil and hope is the faith's angel, you might say. And it's just as easy for us to believe that what God said is going to happen as it is to believe what the enemy said is going to happen. And we get to choose. No one can force you. You choose what thoughts you're going to wake up with in the morning. 
You choose what thoughts you're going to have before you go to bed at night. What you expect is going to take place in your life. There's a, a story about this um, lady. For 30 years of her marriage, she lived in constant fear. And every uh, night of her life, she thought there was a burglar in her home. She always worried that someone was going to break into her house, steal her stuff, hurt her children. And um, so maybe two or three times a week, she would have her husband go downstairs and check all the windows and check all the locks. And if anyone came in their house that day, even if it was a relative, she'd make sure all the windows or all the windows locked or all the doors in the house locked. She lived in fear. And one night, she thought she heard something downstairs going on. So she told her husband, she said, oh, there's a burglar, you know, go check. And so like he had done a thousand times before, so routinely, he goes down the stairs to go check on things, except this time it was different. This time he was staring down the barrel of a gun. And the burglar told him, he said, don't say a word, give me your valuables, give me your money. And so he very quietly took his watch off and gave the burglar his watch. He gave the burglar some money that they had hidden in a drawer downstairs, gave him some more valuables. The burglar turned around to leave and the husband said, whoa, 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 you can't go yet. I need you to come upstairs and meet my wife. She's been expecting you for 30 years. <laughs> Jesus said in Matthew 9, 29, have what your faith expects. If I say that in the negative, have what your fear expects. You get a pain in your side and fear says, oh, that's the same thing your mom died of. You're probably going to get sick and die of that. It's just as easy to believe, nope, uh, this pain is going to go away by the stripes of Jesus. I'm already healed. Whenever um, you know, the business is going slow, fear tells you to go ahead and close the doors, be done with it. You might as well give up. And faith says, nope, God can make a way even where there is no way. It's just as easy for us to believe the negative as it is for us to believe the positive. Point number one for your notes. Fear has to be dealt with immediately. If there's any negative thought pattern that we need to deal with right away, it's fear. Right away. It's because the longer we allow fear to settle in our minds, the bigger our giants get and the harder it will be for us to finally step out in faith and honor God. Anytime God wants to promote you, he's always going to speak to you and ask you to sow a seed in some area. Anytime. Promotion always comes after the seed. God will tell you to sow a seed financially. He'll tell you to sow a seed by stepping out in faith and encouraging somebody or inviting somebody to church. He'll tell you to sow a seed and get up early and read your Bible or go exercise. Or something. God will say something to you, and before he speaks, before you step out in faith and obey it, the, 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 the enemy is going to try to send fear to come your way. It's interesting. We have faith to believe that our car is going to start whenever we leave church today. None of you are worried. You're, you all are 100% sure your car is going to crank up and start, but yet we have a problem believing things that God says in his word for us to do. It's like we have more faith in our car than we do God. And here's why. The enemy doesn't send fear to tell you your car is not going to start. The enemy sends fear to tell you what God's word says isn't going to happen for you. In fact, the definition of the word fear in the Hebrew language is this, to take flight or to run from. In other words, every time God speaks, the first thing the enemy does is he turns the lights off in your life. No. <laughs> There we go. We planned that. That was great. Um, <laughs> we didn't plan that. We can turn the spots on. The spots next to you. There you go. We'll just do that. Okay, so anytime the, uh, the Lord speaks to you about stepping out in faith, the enemy always sends fear to stop that. Okay, let me give you an example in the Bible. When, David told, when God told David to go fight Goliath, in 1 Samuel 17, 48, here's what it says. David took his sling in his hand and he ran quickly toward the battle line to fight the Philistine face to face. Listen, why did David run quickly 
to go fight Goliath. Here's why. If he waited, the longer he waited, the scarier and the bigger Goliath was going to get. Not physically, but in his mind. And if David had ran from Goliath, he would have run from his destiny. Here's something really important for your notes. David's destiny involved him facing something scary. A lot of people think, oh man, that's scary. Well, that might be the very thing God wants to use to promote you. If David ran from the thing that he had feared, he would have run from the very thing that God was using to catapult him forward in life. And if we run them, see, that's why the enemy, time God speaks to you, he's going to send you fearful thoughts. Man, what are they going to think of you? What are they going to say about you? They're going to think you're crazy. It's not going to happen for you. These fearful thoughts are intended for you to take flight and run from the very thing God's asking you to do. Um, in my life, I told you earlier, I was going to talk to you about altar calls. Uh, we started the church in 2006. I was 26 years old, scared to death, didn't know what I was doing. And uh, for two years, God told me to have an altar call after service, after the sermon. And for two years, I disobeyed. I was ready to do it the first week, but then I thought, man, what are they going to think of me? It's not going to be good enough. And then the next week, fear got worse and worse and got bigger and bigger and bigger. And for two years, we never had an altar call at church, ever. I was so scared to pray for somebody, I thought I would get tongue-tied, or my breath's going to stink, or what are they going to think of me? I had every fearful thought you could imagine coming against me. So after two years of God saying to have an altar call, two years, I mean, I remember, man, for a year, I remember after the sermon, I thought, okay, today's the day, we're going to do it, I'm going to invite him, I'm going to pray for somebody, oh God, please, and, we get, and I just dismiss the service and not do it. Two years. So finally, after two years, 2008, 28 years old, I said, okay, we're going to do it no matter what. This is the day. This is the day. And so um, at the end of the sermon, I said, okay, we're going to have an altar call. And I was hoping maybe one, maybe two people would come down and I'd feel like everything was good. So today we're going to have an altar call. And before I could even finish the sentence, God is my witness, the entire church came forward entire church. I thought, oh dear God. And then so I started down the line here and it was in our, our storefront building and there wasn't another musician to play. I was the only musician at the time. And so everyone could hear my prayer for each person. So, oh man. So then I'm thinking, now I got to make the prayers different or they're going to think, oh, you just prayed the same thing for me as you prayed the person next to you. <laughs> so I had to use some creativity. And so I start, you know, I come down and it was in a storefront building. We had like 30 or 40 people. So I start praying. And the further I go, the more I feel like, oh man, this is great. Oh, this is so good. Okay, the altar call is going to be fine. I can't believe I waited two years. And I get down the end of the line, and the guy at the very end was a guy who had visited the week before. And because the church was so small, I knew visitors, and we had name tags Sunday that Sunday. And I remember for sure that guy's name was Harold. At least that's what I thought was Harold. So I get down the end of the line, and I put my hand on, on Harold's head, and I start to pray for Harold. And I'm like, Lord, you just pray, a, put a hedge of protection around Harold, and God, you open up the right doors for Harold, and you, God, you just bless Harold, and you heal Harold, and any Harold this and I mean, I, was, I mean, Harold was blessed that day. And at the very end of the call, and I remember, I remember, I remember specifically that I was sweating so bad. I remember my pants legs were sticking to my legs like this because I was sweating. You could see the sweat through my, my, my suit that day. It was so bad. But anyway, so I'm feeling good. I thought, why did I wait? Everything's great. And I'm praying for Harold. And at the very end of my prayer, when I think, okay, it's all done. We're going to go home. It's going to be a great Sunday. Harold grabs my hand. And he pulls it off of his head, and with the sternest, most deepest, loud voice, he looks at me and says, my name isn't Harold, it's Robert. To which I said, Lord, everything that we gave Harold, you give Robert the same things to God. I wanted to look at him and say, God says you have a new name, son. Your new name is Harold. That old name has passed away. Behold. 
listen, and to this day, my I, Harold or Robert, he's, he's Robert. He was actually that, that when he came to church, he was um, he was a, a drunkard. He every day of his life just totally drunkard. Now he's a administrator of one of the biggest churches in our area. But anyway, and it's not because of my prayer for Harold either. By the way, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying here's 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 what I remember leaving thinking for two years. People could have been blessed for two years. There could have been deliverance for two years. There could have been miracles for two years. And I allowed that seed of fear to get bigger and bigger and bigger until I thought, I can't pray for anybody. What are they going to think of me? And I'm the pastor. Here's an analogy I want to give you fear. Fear is like a fog. It's like a fog. It makes things look bigger and scarier than they really are. I read where uh, a fog that is seven city blocks long and a hundred feet thick is equivalent to vapors that fill up one glass of water. One glass of water. So anytime that fear comes your way, you look at it and say, listen, you may look big, you may look intimidating, but compared to God, you're nothing but a small drink of water. That's all it is. It looks way bigger than it really is. 2 Timothy 1.7 is a, is a scripture that means a lot to me because when I was a kid, I had incredible nightmares, very, very evil nightmares. And my mom would, uh, she'd play praise and worship tapes in my room when I was growing up and she would give me this scripture to quote. I remember quoting the scripture thousands of times as a child. It says that God did not give us the spirit of fear, but the spirit that he gave us is a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind or a well-balanced mind or a disciplined mind, different translations say. Here's the point I want you to see. It's easy to recognize fear. It's easy because here's why it didn't come from God. It is so easy because it is not from God. In other words, you can't be afraid unless you choose to think fearful thoughts. You cannot live in fear. Fear will keep you in your house on the weekends. Fear will keep you in your house on Sunday mornings when you should be at church. Fear, I don't know how many of y'all really battle fear, but man, fear is an evil thing that I believe, especially ladies that battle tremendously. And it keeps them in their comfort zone. It keeps them from stepping out. It keeps them from being happy and excited. It keeps you from enjoying the thing God, things God wants you to enjoy. Uh, Mark Twain said this. He said, I've had some terrible misfortunes in my life, some of which actually happened. In other words, most of the things that we battle, it's all up here. It's all up here. And we choose what magnet we're going to draw in towards us, faith or fear. Um, Talking about how fear is a fog and it's, and it's bigger than it is. One of my sons, and I won't tell you his name. I have four sons, but I don't want to embarrass him. But one of my sons, several years ago, it was my turn to take the kids to get their flu shots. And we'd done all the kids except for this particular son of mine. And so I was taking him. But I, you never tell your kids we're going for the flu shot. You tell them we're going for a checkup. Because if you tell them the flu shot, by the time we get there, the needle's like this big. And they're going to die of it, you know. Maybe that's just how I feel. But anyway, and so, um, so I brought my son uh, and, and the nurse. And you know, if, if those of you that are parents and you take your kids to the, I was about to say vet, you take your kids to the <laughs> pediatrician. You know, the nurses, <laughs> maybe I need to take my kid to the vet. Um, you take your kids to the pediatrician. The nurses, they're not there to like talk and how you doing. It's great to see you. They, they want to get stuff done, right? It's flu season, kids, give them a shot, you know, whatever. Let's get out of here. And so um, it's time for the nurse to come in and she brings the needle in and my son looks at me like, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you tell me? No, 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 what are we doing? I said, it's okay. It's going to be okay. Just giving you a little shot. It's just a flu shot. It's going to be fine. Well, my son jumps up on the table. He acts crazy. I'm not getting a shot. You can't do this to me. And da, da, da. And the nurse says, we have this thing called the flu mist. Where you just put it in your nostril, one snort, and you're done. It's no big deal. He said, yeah, I want the flu mist. I want the flu mist. So whenever a nurse leaves your room is in the 
I keep wanting to say vet, in the pediatrician, we don't know if she's going to be gone for two seconds or 20 minutes. For those of you who have kids, you know how that is. I mean, so she was gone for 20 minutes, and so by the time she gets back, this little snort of a flu mist gets in my son's head so big, he thinks he's going to die of this thing and how bad it is. So he jumps back on the table. I don't want the flu mist. Give me the shot. Give me the shot. And I look at the nurse like, oh my God, what are we going to do? So she goes out, comes back 20 minutes later with the needle. When she gets back then, now the needle's like this big in his mind. So now he's really flipping out and he's going crazy. And, and I'm like, Zach, you got, oh man, I said his name. <laughs> we'll edit this out anyway. Anyway, so I said, listen here. I said, listen, you're going to get the shot whether you like it or not. Well, then the nurse started being mean to him and saying, listen, you little, she called him, you little punk or called him name. Now, I can be mean to my kid, but if somebody else is mean to my kid, then I'm stuck. So then I looked at her and I said, he changed his mind again. He doesn't want the shot. He wants the mist. <laughs> so we fight. So she comes out and she comes back with two of the pediatricians. And we have to hold my son down on the table. And she's trying to, and he's crying and screaming and kicking. And we got three guys holding him down because he's a strong little sucker. And while he's crying and his eyes are closed and his tears everywhere, she puts the thing in his nose and he sucks up as he's crying. And she turns around and walks out. And he's still flipping out and screaming. And then one pediatrician lets go, the other one lets go. Then finally I let go. And he looked at me and said, so is she going to get the needle and come back with the needle? I said, listen, it's already over. It's done. While you were crying your eyes out, you gave a snort and the whole thing was over and he made this little thing that was this big this huge in his mind and adults do that in every area of our life when we battle the spirit of fear it's nothing but a little it's nothing but a little snort it reminds me of that scripture in job 325 let me tell you some of my snorts let me see my this is in my notes let me tell you my snorts people think i do drugs because i snort I have a tick. So if anyone ever asks you about Pastor John Paul, I have two ticks. I have one in my arm, so I, I wear long sleeves a lot during the summertime because I tick a lot. But my other tick is I, I sniff a lot. I, I've never even seen drugs that require things going up your nose in my life. I'm just telling you. But if anyone ever asks about your pastor snorting, it's a tick that I have. Anyway, so 325, we'll probably edit that out of the entire sermon as well, just so you know, says, the thing that I greatly feared came upon me and that which I dreaded has happened. One translation says this. This, everything that I fear and dread comes true. When fear comes against you and says you're not going to make it, God's not for you, the doors isn't going to open for you, God's not going to bring that person in your life, you got to look at that fear and say, compared to God, you're nothing but a snort. That's all you are. Um, there's a true story about this guy named Nick. It took place in the early 90s. And uh, Nick was an incredibly big, strong man, and he worked in the railroad yards. And Nick was always on time. He was always reliable. He was a hard worker, but he had chronic anxiety. He feared the worst, and he constantly worried. And this was a regular thing for Nick. His, his co-workers, they liked that he was strong. He got a lot of work done. He was on time. But they could not stand that every word out of his mouth was negative worry and fear. What if this happens? What if that happens? On and on it went. One end of a fall day when people were starting to leave and go home, Nick somehow locked himself in a boxcar. It was a refrigerated boxcar that had been brought in for maintenance. And he starts screaming and screaming and it's pitch black in there and he can't get the door open and the crew had already left. He starts beating on the walls of that railroad car as hard as he can until his fists were literally bloody. 
Just totally bloody. Um, he knew because it was a, a boxcar refrigerated one, he thought for sure the temperature in there was about 10 degrees Fahrenheit or so. And so he sat in the corner and started getting colder and colder and colder as the night progressed. He found a pen in his pocket and uh, he reached over and there was some cardboard, pieces of cardboard laying in the corner of the railroad cart. And he wrote his very last words, uh, which were this, getting so cold, body numb. He had convinced himself that he was going to freeze to death in that boxcar. And sure enough, the next morning, the crew got there. They opened up the door to the boxcar, and he had indeed, the autopsy revealed that he froze to death. The fascinating enigma about this story is that that boxcar was there for maintenance and never turned on or plugged in. And Nick froze to death in 61 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, here's what I want to show you. This is very important. Nick's faith worked great. His faith was amazing. He believed it was going to happen. He talked like it was going to happen. He thought like it was going to happen. He had worried like it was going to happen. And sure enough, what he feared the most came upon him. It's just as easy for us. Listen, if you battle fear today, write down Psalm 91. That's the chapter for you. If there's any chapter you need to memorize, you need to read every day, you need to think about and dwell on, it's Psalms chapter 91. It's just as easy for us to quote Psalms 91 too. I will say of the Lord, you are my defender, you are my protector, you're my God in whom will I trust. It's just as easy for us to dwell on this as it is somebody's going to break into my house one night. So just as easy. It's just as easy for us to dwell in Psalms 91, 16. With long life, God will satisfy me as is to think I'm probably going to die of this disease. I'm probably going to die an early death. Point number two for your notes is this. Fear is contagious. These last two points are very quick, so you'll be out of here before the Baptists get, before the Baptists get to K&W. Fear is contagious. It is very contagious. Um, we have to be very careful who we allow to speak into our life and what we allow around, around us. Listen, I'm all for movies. I'm a movie buff. That's how I, that's the, the way I enjoy life and get away from everything is movies. Love movies. But if a movie is intended to have evil, um, um, scary things, like an evil, scary thing that you know is not from God, uh, the spirit of fear can come through that into your home, even into your children's lives. Uh, you say, well, now I can watch that scary movie and it won't affect me. Okay, the purpose of pornography is to have lustful thoughts. That's the purpose. You can't say, I'm looking at pornography, but I'm not lusting. Lustful thoughts and pornography go hand in hand. You can't say, I'm going to watch this evil, scary movie and not think that the spirit of fear, just like the spirit of lust is in pornography, the spirit of fear is not going to come through that. It's intended to produce the spirit of fear. And it might, you say, well, that's just going to scare me that night. No, 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 that's not how the spirit of fear works. The spirit of fear spreads itself like a fog trying to destroy every area of your life. Every area of your life. Uh, there was an experiment that was done with these two groups. One was policemen who were being tasered. You know, when you go through a uh, police academy, you got to be tasered. The other group was people who were friends and family of the policemen being tasered. And they were there to watch them get tasered. Both groups had their, their heads hooked up to these things to measure their brain waves and what was going on in their mind at the time. And the experiment that was done to those that were watching and those that were getting it done, their brain waves measured the exact same things. Here's what they concluded to say. Just seeing other people's fears are enough to make us afraid. Just seeing other people's fears are enough to make us afraid. Um, you know, when we first started the church, I didn't have any confidence whatsoever. And I could be talked into anything. And there was this one lady, and I'm... I'm 
definitely not going to try to tell you her name, okay? <laughs> this one lady, she came to church, and um, for three weeks, she tried to convince me that America was about to end in the next few months, and that our church needed to be a safe haven for people in the nation, and we needed to store all the water that we could possibly store at our church. And then I was to announce and preach a sermon and tell the whole body that I loved so much. She said, if you're a good pastor, you'll let them know. Their schools are going to get closed down. Offices are going to be done with. America's over, and in the next few months, there's not going to be any water left in the whole nation, and we got to be a safe place. And I'll tell you, God's moment is, she actually convinced me that I need to stand up before the church and tell everybody, hey, everything's going to end. The whole all America's done. We got to start bringing in water bottles and save it. I know it sounds funny, but I was scared and I wanted to be a good pastor and I loved the people at church and what was I going to do? And I even hand wrote the announcement. I had it all prepared and perfect. The, the verbiage that I wanted to use to try to convince everybody that the world was going to end and we needed to save up stuff. I'll never forget before that service that I was going to announce it, I remember thinking, this is nothing but fearful thoughts. There's no wisdom behind it. There's no knowledge. There's no maturity there. It's nothing but going to produce fear, and that's it. And I crumpled the thing up, and I remember her coming at me, you're the worst pastor in the world. This, this is going to end, and you should be here to help people. I can't wait to see her one day with a bottle of water in my hand. I'm going to jug that thing right in front of her. Anyway, that was mean. I'll, I got to edit like half the sermon out today. <laughs> Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing. Let me say the opposite. Fear comes by hearing things that contradict God's word. Faith comes by hearing God's word. Fear comes by hearing things that contradict it. If there's ever a Sunday that you feel like you need to stay home or you're discouraged or you don't feel like getting out of bed or you got things to do, of all Sundays, those are the ones you need to come to church. Here's why. We're contagious. You cannot come in this building on Sunday morning and leave here fearful, worried, or upset. We fill you up with faith every time you come here. This place, these people in this room are contagious. You can't help but be happy when you're here. You can't help but, but be filled with faith when you're here. I read where 90% of all chronic patients who visit a physician share one common symptom, and that is fear. Fear of losing a job fear of losing a child, fear of being exposed for something they don't want people to find out about, fear of getting old, fear of dying. I heard this true story. This guy, his, his, his co-workers played a trick on him one, one day. He came into work at eight o'clock and when he came in, the receptionist looked at him and said, man, you look really bad. Are, are you okay? And he said, no, no, I'm great. It's a perfect day. I'm feeling healthy. Everything's fine. I said, okay, okay. He goes to his office and then one of his coworkers comes in about 20 minutes later and says, man, you look sick as a dog. Have you been on any kind of medication? You've been okay? He said, no, I, I'm feeling fine. feeling fine. 10 minutes later, another coworker comes in there and says, you look hot. Do you have a fever? He loosened his tie. He said, you know what? I am feeling kind of warm right now. About 30 minutes later, his boss called him into the office and said, dude, you look nasty. What's going on with you? He said, I don't know, but I need to go home. I'm feeling sick. He went home by 10 a.m. that day, and he was feeling fine that morning. Here's the point. We can be talked into things that have nothing to do with our God-given destiny. You can, be talked into ne you can be talked into being negative, be talked into being afraid. You can be talked into what you got to watch who you allow to speak into your life. It's very important. Psalms 91.7 says, a thousand may fall at my side, 10,000 at my right hand, but it won't come near me. It's just as easy to think this as it is, man, I need to loosen my tie because I'm not feeling good today. Just as easy. Last point, and I'm going to let you go. Fear begins with worry. Now, if there's any point that, 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 that the enemy does not want you to hear, it's this point. And if there's any point that God wants you to hear, it's this point. Because I'm going to tell you logically 
how to handle fear. For those of you that battle fear, I'm going to tell you logically how to handle it. It begins with worry. Worry that God's not going to do... If you study God's word, he's provided everything for us. Everything. And so when we fear, it's because we started worrying about things that, that God said he would do, but we worry he's not going to do it. And then it gets bigger and bigger and it turns into fear. Let me give you a scripture where he told us seven times not to worry. Matthew 6, 25. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about drink. Don't worry about clothes. Can worry make you live longer? What little faith you have, people who do not know God worry about such things. Instead, put God first and he will provide for you, okay? Here's the point I want to give you. And this, this is a, a, a very, very brilliant, logical, and godly point. Warriors ask the question, what if, subconsciously. If you're here today and you battle fear or worry, you are subconsciously always asking yourself, what if my child dies? What if I lose my job? What if I go through a divorce? What if I lose my house? You have these what if questions. And the reason you have fear in your life is because you never answer the what if question. The scripture says in Proverbs 22.3, last scripture, it says, uh, I'm sorry, yep, there we go. Sensible people see danger and take refuge, but an unthinking person will suffer later. Here's what that means. That means this. Some of your what if questions are valid. Let me validate some of the things that you've been thinking or battling and then tell you we got in. It, it, is, it is a valid, if, if you constantly ask yourself, what if my child dies? That's a valid question because there are people in this room who have children that had died before them. It's a valid question to say, what if I lose my job? That's valid because people lose their job. It's a valid question to say, what if my spouse dies? Or what if um, I, 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 I can't pay my house payment or whatever? Those are valid. I mean, let me validate those questions in your life. But it is ignorant for you to ask that question and not answer it. Because when you ask yourself a what if question but choose not to answer it, the enemy will continue to bombard you with that what if question until it turns into a root of fear and destroys that area of your life. So for those of you that battle this big time, I encourage you to get a notebook this week and answer the what if questions and answer them with faith, answer them with logic, answer them, and then the enemy can't bombard you like that anymore. Let me give you an example. What if my child dies? Okay, how many of y'all seen the movie The Shack? Okay, I thought it was a movie about Shaquille O'Neal, but it's not. But anyway, <laughs> I thought it was a basketball movie. But anyway, so listen, it is a valid question to say, what if this happens? What if my child dies? Okay, answer it. If you battle that fear, answer the question and write it down. If my child dies, here's option one. Number one, I'll have to go to counseling. I know I will. Number two, there could be some more unhealth in my life I didn't know about, but maybe counseling, counseling will help that area too. Number three, I will get to see my child in heaven and I have proof through 2 Samuel when David's child died in the Bible that, that it went to heaven. So uh, number four, you might even write this. I would rather my child die and go to heaven today than live a long, full life till they're 90 years old and not know Jesus and not go to heaven. That's a great option there. Um, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll be able to encourage other parents who've gone through something like this. Whatever it is, but write it out. Don't keep waking up every night thinking, what if, what if, and never answer the question. That's ignorant. Answer the question and then be done with it. What if I lose my job? Okay, what if I lose my job? Well, God gave me the job I have now, so why can't he give me another one? That's an option. What if I can't pay my house payment? Okay, if I can't pay my house payment, here's some options. I'll move back in with my parents. Maybe that'll make us closer. Maybe after six months, they'll never want to talk to me again. Both ways, I'm blessed. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. 
Just kidding. Come down now. I'm, I'm, I'm finishing the sermon. So you, you answer, answer the what if question. Answer it. What if this dream that I'll have so bad never happens, okay? Here's some other options of what God can do. Write those out. Let's say God doesn't do that, okay? The worst case scenario, I die and go to heaven, and that's still a really good case scenario. Write out. Answer the what ifs, and the enemy will stop throwing fear in your lap. Last story. Jairus, this, this guy, his daughter was on her deathbed. She was 12 years old, and he ran and found Jesus and begged Jesus to heal his daughter. And Jesus gave him the answer. He said, okay, your daughter's going to be healed. So, bam, that's it. God said it. Jesus said it's in the Word. That's it. He said it. That's all I need. They're on their way to the house for Jesus to heal the daughter. And when they're almost there, some people from the house come and they say, there's no use in coming. She's dead. Don't even worry about it. She's, 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 she's gone. Tell Jesus to, he don't have to come. Mark 5.36 says this. Jesus overheard what they said but he ignored it. You're going to have to learn how to ignore some of the co-workers, some of the relatives, some of the people that constantly fill your mind with worry, doubt, or fear. You will hear it. Ignoring what they said, here's what he told to Jairus, have no fear, only faith, and she will be healed. Here's what he was saying. You have a magnet in your hand. You can either turn it towards the direction of fear or you can turn it towards the direction of faith. It's just as easy to do either one, but the choice is totally up to you. Amen.